Hello, Annie Trenders, and welcome back to the Anime Trending Podcast. It is I, James, your perennial host, once again, coming in from an army field telephone, because I've tried, my mic quality is not going to improve until I do some major hardware changes. Uh, and joining me this week is only one of the usual suspects. Hi everyone, this is Gracie hopping back and forth between Girl Taku and the Anime Trendy Podcast. Yeah, Nick's not here this week. Uh, he's going on a, a on a journey up north uh, for who knows how long. Hopefully he will return. We can only hope. Anyway, <laughs> so um, yeah, welcome to the Anime Trending Podcast. We have an exciting uh, topic for you today. If you listened to last week's episode, I kind of hinted at it, I think, if I remember correctly. So uh, we'll get into that after we do the chart check. And oh man, the chart check for week nine that was released on June 10th. It is a sea of red today. Like, oh my gosh. <laughs> let's let's get let's get started with uh, because first place. Two, is... <clears throat> two of the top anime had dropped out originally because of having recaps and now they've returned. So, <laughs> yep. So in first place, we have Pengoku Daimakyo. In second place, we have Hell's Paradise. In third place, we have Mobile Suit Gundam, The Witch from Mercury Season 2. In fourth place, we have Insomniacs After... Well, wait, fourth place, we have Oshinoko. I can't read. Uh, I was skipping. I was going too fast. Fifth place is Insomniacs After School. Um, sixth place is The Dangers in My Heart. Seventh place, down three slots, is Skip and Loafer. Uh, eighth place is Kubo Won't Let Me Be Invisible. Ninth place is The Reason Why Rayliana Ended Up at the Duke's Mansion. In tenth place for second core anime, we have Vindland Saga Season 2. And then in tenth place for new shows this season, we have My Love Story with Yamato-kun at level 999. So... Gracie, I'd love to hear your thoughts. <laughs> James is saying this because he already knows since I basically told him in the chat, I was like, we need to murder some people. <laughs> so you said, no, you didn't just say we needed to murder some people. You said, I don't think I'm going to be able to contribute anything to the podcast tonight because I only have one opinion. And I went, that leaves me alone. So <laughs> <laughs> right. So I was understandably upset that Skip and Loafer had dropped to 7th, especially because it's below Insomniacs After School and The Dangers in My Heart. Um, and, uh, by the way, Oshinoko, or, sorry, uh, I can't really say for Gundam Witch from Mercury because I'm not watching it, so that's the one I am, like, legally, legally, but I am logically not allowed to be upset about because I genuinely don't know anything about it, and so, uh, but the other two I am watching, and especially the dangers in my heart being above Skip and Loafer is just so upsetting for me because, I've, like, reached this point. Do you remember seeing yesterday for me? Do you remember that at all? I didn't watch any. Uh, I think I watched part of the first episode. That's the um, the one with the convenience store. I remember a lot of crows. I don't think I watched the show because okay. so uh, I got partway through the first episode and then Nick or you or somebody went, don't bother. And I went, okay. And then I watched yeah. other things. Yeah, okay. So here's the thing. <clears throat> My experience right now with The Dangers of My Heart is basically the same experience I'm having with Sing Yesterday for Me. I thought Sing Yesterday for Me started really strong and it had a lot of things going for it. And then it got worse and worse and worse to the point that I was ridiculously annoyed and could not wait to just for it to finish and never think about it again. And so thanks to Dangers in My Heart, now I have to think about it. <laughs> but genuinely, the thought of that anime has not crossed my mind in years. But... What was funny was seeing yesterday for me started off really low on our rankings back when I still liked it and I thought it was really good. And right around the tipping point where I started to dislike it is when it started to go up on the charts. And so I'm having that same experience again, unfortunately, with uh, the dangers in my heart. I actually liked the beginning more in particular. I know there's a lot of cringy moments between like 
Ichikawa being like trying to be all like, oh, I love murder and all that stuff. But there's also something so genuinely middle school about it that I'm like, you know what? I'm actually okay because it's actually matching his age and stuff like that. Um, but now it's just shifted into a very like bland rom-com. And it's like, and now I've lost interest in it. But now that I've lost interest in it, it started to go up on the charts and beating out one of what I think is one of the best anime of the season. And so it just annoyed me so much to see that. Like, and it was the exact same experience with seeing yesterday for me. Uh, the beginning of seeing yesterday for me, I thought had a lot of poignant moments, especially with adults in particular. And then it became like this romance triangle square thing. And then suddenly it started rising on the charts, even though I think the story went down significantly in quality after that. So I'm having to deal with that sad fact. And it upsets me a lot since I feel like actually the last few episodes of Skip and Loafer have been some of the best ones in regards to how they've used visuals to storytell. And I'm like in the dangers in my heart where they are, by the way, doing a lot of boob and butt shots on a 12-year-old girl. I I'd like to just point that out. She is canonically a 12-year-old girl and the anime is doing that. Like that just really disturbs me. So, <laughs> Yep. I, I'm, I'm laughing a little bit because you were like, yeah, and it's a little cringe, but he's acting his age. And I'm like, I'm going to agree with you on both of those counts. Acting your age in middle school is cringe. Middle schoolers are cringe. Yeah, uh, it's it is it is a, it is a constant state. There are no cool middle schoolers. If you are in middle school and listening to this, first of all, thanks for thanks for listening. We probably talk about things you shouldn't be hearing. Uh, also, <laughs> you're cringe. Um, but yeah, no, I uh, I didn't watch um, thing yesterday for me. And I basically oh, I'm not basically not watching. I am not watching this show because the first episode was so cringe. Um, yes, but it's like I, there was a I charm am... to it because it felt realistic to their ages. And I'd also no. like to note that the first few episodes or the beginning where I actually started to enjoy it more and more, there was actually a lack of fan service is essentially what it was. A lot of it was focused on like her derpy face because she's also like really cringy and like stupid at times as you tend to be when you're a middle schooler. <laughs> and so, um, and so basically it's like, it focuses more on her face and sort of like what she's doing. That's kind of ridiculous. Or you're kind of like, what are you like? What are you thinking? Sort of moments. Um, she's not, she's head empty. No thoughts. Let's be yeah. Honest. Yeah, exactly. But since it's like shifted into a more romantic element, that's when the fan service began. And I'm like, this is actually grossing me out because once again, canonically, she is a 12 year old girl and anime is explicitly showing boob shots and butt shots of a 12 year old girl. So I do not care how developed her body looks. Um, some teenage girls develop their body early. You should never be sexualizing children. That is a child. And I, as a woman who has other friends who are girls, some of them who developed into their bodies early, it's actually extraordinarily traumatizing for them to be sexualized at such a young age. And I don't care. This is an anime and fake. It's still disgusting. It grosses me out that this is a canonically 12 year old girl. So. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I will agree on the whole it's kids thing. Um, I, I did have and I. <sighs> devil's advocate thing popping into my head of like well maybe and even if this is the case it doesn't need to be done in this particular lens but like if you are viewing it through what's the guy's name again uh ichikawa ichikawa he is he doesn't see her as like he sees her as kind of like a stupid airhead at the beginning and you could like the you could make the argument that the change in the way that the anime is portraying a character is a reflection of how he is perhaps perceiving, um, what is her name again? Um, Yamada. <laughs> Thank you. Shows you how much I know, right? Right. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, so it's not a particularly strong argument, but it, it could be made. I would still say that, like, everything else overweighs it in the same way that them being cringe overweighs any charm it could have had at the beginning of the series. So, you know, they're, they're not all things have the same weight. So I'm going to agree with you on there. Yeah. And um, I, I also think I got less interested in their relationship because you're right. It is through Ichikawa's eyes. And it's like, 
oh, suddenly all he's noticing about her is her boobs and her butts. When at the beginning, it seemed like he was more noticing about her. You know, like she likes to do this and she tends to do this. And there's like and like he even noticed, like, you know, when she's with her friends, she likes to kind of stand at the side. And he was like, huh, like she she's actually not very good at interacting with strangers. And it's like that feels a lot more real in regards to how he sees her as a person. So funnily enough, I actually really liked seeing their relationship develop at the beginning. And especially there was a turning point where. Um, where he did something so kind, and I like I think I touched upon it briefly. He really did something really, really kind, just genuine and from the bottom of his heart for her because he just didn't want her to feel bad. And in that moment, that was the moment where she started having romantic feelings for him. And it was and I I was sitting here like I completely understand why she developed romantic feelings for him. That was literally one of the sweetest, kindest things that he could have done just out of the genuine um, care of his heart without any sort of expectations of getting something in return. But unfortunately, that was actually the last episode I was super into because that's when the shift happened. And that's when she starts flirting with him. And then suddenly she's just always looking at her boobs and her butts and suddenly it was just her body and, and like noticing how sexy she is. And I'm like, I don't like I'm like, that's not why I'm here. I was originally here because of what it was at the beginning where he's just making these observations about how weird she is as a person. So, yeah. Yeah, no, I I get it. But I also I I definitely can see. And this is this is like, dude, like, bro talk time for some bro secrets. Um, (laughs) There there is kind of there is definitely a shift in terms of like perspective Mm. uh and i'm gonna i'm gonna take it into like two i'm gonna i'm gonna exaggerate these these descriptions a little bit to show the difference but like on one hand it's viewing another like i'll just abstract it to like in general Mm -hmm. Uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be about the show there is viewing somebody as basically an interesting specimen as opposed to like uh, as like you know oh (laughs) there is this bug in this jar i really like watching this bug um, as opposed to like somebody that could be seen as a potential romantic partner or an object of physical or emotional desire. And so I, I, I think at the beginning, because he's 12 and cringe, it is absolutely the former of he is trying to be edgy. And the, the edgiest thing you can do in middle school is try to have no emotions whatsoever right. and only be like, <laughs> emotions are bad and i'm stoic and super logical about everything Mm -hmm. and so i'm gonna judge other people on that same axis and then once you stop viewing other people as like you know a a vivisection subject Mm -hmm. you you it complicates things um emotions bad i'm still cringe um Anyway, uh, one thing I did notice, I know, Gracie, that you're super disappointed about Skip and Loafer dropping three spots, which I get was the original beginning of this conversation before it became entirely about the dangers in my heart. Sorry, it's the fact I'm that looking... the dangers in my heart is above Skip and Loafer that has just drive me insane. So... <laughs> it is it, it is a little frustrating that it is above, but I'm also looking at Skip and Loafer like, wow, it's down three spots. And then I'm like, wait, two shows that weren't there last time are there now. So in reality, it's only really down one spot. Um, but at the same time, that does also mean the dangers in my heart technically went up a spot. Yeah. Um, so, you know, golf clap for that, I suppose. Oh, it frustrates me so much. <laughs> um, I, uh, the other thing is, well, okay. First of all, Tengoku Daimakyo staying up top is, um, good. I really liked the episode that this result is based on. It ended in a very like chilling plot twist way that is like sad you know it like a heavy kind of sad. oh nice and i really liked it because it made me it once again made me just sort of like feel things and think and think and think and so also there are so many sort of small like details and clues throughout the um anime it is genuinely fun looking at some message boards of people discussing the episode because there was one moment that like i didn't see but someone with sharp eyes noticed it paused it and took a screenshot and it blew my mind absolutely blew my mind and so like that small thing in that tiny frame has a big deal in regards to the point of this uh of like what happened in that episode and 
Um, and it just changes the entire meaning of what you've seen. And someone saw it and noticed it and thank God told everyone. Everyone was sort of like having their mind blown too. They're like, wow, like great eye and the fact that you noticed it. And so that's something that's really fun about Ten Tengoku Daimakyo right now. Um, I know a big turning point is happening in the future because I've, um, uh, for the sake of researching the anime when it came to our databases and stuff like that, I went ahead and researched it on like what where where things are supposed to happen and stuff. And I am You're cheating. <laughs> I am kind of dreading that moment, admittedly, because I'm obviously not gonna spoil it because this is like source material information, but I will say that if they do end up showing it, it is going to be extraordinarily triggering. Like that's all I will say. Um I see. Yeah. I should get caught up then, because I don't want to be behind when that drops. Yeah, and this, like, a type of triggering that is more than just, oh, anime has violence. Like, no, it is genuinely triggering, and um, and basically, like, even as someone who hadn't experienced what, like, the manga showed, essentially, I, I actually couldn't, like, read the whole thing. Like, I, I think I read, I saw, like, two panels, and then I stopped, because I was like, I can't handle and so um and, and like i can actually like feel fear and my body was starting to shake and so yeah that i am dreading because it's so extraordinarily explicit in the manga i don't know if the anime is gonna commit to that or if they're gonna find a way to skirt around it to sort of insinuate what happens either way um that i either way it's a big turning point and i genuinely am dreading it because even though this anime adaptation has been great this is one of those things where i'm like i never want to see it on screen is unfortunately what it is and so um so i am also morbidly curious as to how they're going to end up handling it so <laughs> yes join me in morbid curiosity you've got my attention because i'm like will this induct Goku Daimakyo into the honorary Darker Than Dak Hall of Fame, where, darn, if only we had known about this show and where it was going, we would have put it in the spooky block as opposed to, like, regular time with everybody else. Yeah, the thing... So here's the other thing I'm dreading, James, um, is that I see a lot of guys excited for this turning point, and I'm like... There's a part of me that my heart is sinking because I know like people are going to rate it super highly when it gets there. And I'm like, but I'm in, inside. I'm like, I know there's a part of you that is more just enjoying it rather than really thinking about the implication of what the story is saying, just based on how utterly excited you are about it, because anyone else especially girls anyone else have have uh addressed have felt the same things as me is it's dread in fact even the Sakura people who know what's going to happen have been dreading and said that they have like they're scared about the moment that it's approaching and they have faith in the people behind it but it's still scary to think about and so when I see all those comments being like, oh my God, I can't wait. I can't wait. I can't wait. People's minds are going to be blown and stuff like that. I'm like, yeah, I think you guys actually enjoy it as in regards to this triggering thing rather than like actually think about it and take it in as what it was supposed to be. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I definitely think that's, that's a subsect of it. I would like to think I'm better than that. I just happen to have a long track record of going out of my way to watch that kind of like watch shows i ran a, i ran a club specifically about like things that were too bloody or too explicit or too like psychologically kind of messed up uh because it is it is a media that gets made and sometimes i think it should be seen for what it is uh it, it definitely like i'm not i'm not trying to defend the actions of, of or like the the excitement of it but it is for me at least like a uh, uh, thing of like has it i i can kind of guess what it's going to be at this point but um i i think it's like will it handle it well we're gonna find out because the number of shows that have are pretty small and so it's more a uh, uh, curiosity and execution than it is the actual subject matter right and i have 
have no doubt about you, by the way, James. I don't doubt you on Aww. this. Um, it's it's just, yes, you're right. There's a subset of people, and unfortunately, they are very, very loud in the anime community. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, so, but anyway, take Goku Daimakyo. Everything before that has been really incredible. And honestly, like I said, there's a lot going on this season. Hell's Paradise, I'm kind of iffy about it being in second place. I, like I said, I enjoyed the story and the characters for what it is, but I can just tell the adaptation is suffering really badly and this is not mm-hmm. the best adaptation of it. Um, but I don't think most people when they're watching and voting for it are really thinking that far in this regard. And this is also compounded by the fact that I've watched so many anime in a year. Like you've heard about it, James. Like, you know, at the beginning. Yes, I, when do I not? Yeah. Like at the beginning, when you're dabbling in something, you tend to enjoy things more. But then once you get really knee deep in it, in fact, your standards get higher and you have a harder time enjoying things. And so it's like, this is another one where it's like, if it was like back in the day where I was just kind of casual watching um anime and so i probably would be like oh hell's paradise is amazing but because i've watched so many for so long now and on top of that i'm constantly analyzing how it's doing and why do i like it and why is it not working in my in like when i watch any anime um in preparation for reviewing it at the end of the season I notice these things and I'm like, yeah, it's it's good, but it's clear that it is not at its best is what it is. So, <laughs> yeah. And I I think my my like positive from that is the uh, man, it really shows you how powerful the casual audience is. Um, and I think that's a good thing, to be perfectly honest, uh, as much as I complained last week about how there are too many anime fans. um. <laughs> shows wouldn't get made if there wasn't a viewership base to warrant producing them so you know it's like how i'm grateful to everybody that buys expensive clothes because then when they get rid of them i can get them cheaper oh my hand. god James. Uh, <laughs> anyway uh, and a similar thing oh i'm super excited totally unrelated tangent real life thing my mom is going to a wonderful grocery store tomorrow and i'm gonna get hopefully there's gonna be like say or like tuna trimmings from the fish counter, which are really, really great because my sister makes poke out of them. And every time I have that, I'm grateful to everybody that buys fish at full price because if they didn't, there would be no trimmings for me to snack on. <laughs> oh, James. Oh, James. <laughs> anyway, um, I, if I remember correctly, the, the production staff on Tengoku Daimakyo have been like really engaging with our polls. I feel like that, that comes up every now and then whenever... Uh, a new chart gets released either either like a producer or like an animator or so and so gets gets kind of involved and is like hey it's doing well again this is awesome oh yeah and uh i think it's great to see that kind of industry mm-hmm, yeah always very fun for us uh oshinoko i'm still behind but i've been seeing all the all the clips i'm very excited for the next arc i am aware of what's happening i promise you again dear listeners i have read the manga i know what's going on um but my best girl is getting some uh, getting some love and attention. This uh, his you know, best this, uh, girl is also week, his so. personality. <laughs> hey, 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 hey! I thought we weren't bringing that into the podcast. <laughs> I'm sorry, I just found out it's too like it's it's just right there. It's low hate. It's low hating fruit. <laughs> uh, uh, why must you do this to me? Anyway. Uh, do you have anything else to um to include in uh, the chart check before yep, I wrap this everything's up? Everything's good. <laughs> sure, it is. Um, if you want to vote for your favorite show, you can do that. Uh, we put the link in the podcast description. Uh, now it's time for the main topic. Here's the spicy thing about the main topic: we recorded the main topic weeks ago. Uh, if you listened to last week's episode. You will uh, hear about the time that Nick and I got to interview Kyle McCarley uh, at Fanime Expo. Or not Expo, just Fanime. I'm, I'm mixing my conventions up, Gracie. Uh, my mind is going. Um, but we had this awesome interview with him, and we were lucky enough to record it, and our fantastic editor has helped trim down on some of the, the room background noise. It was kind of an echo chamber in there. Uh, as well as a couple, like snips here and there to get rid of all my ahs and ums because i want to appear as perfectly professional as possible uh so we will be throwing to that you'll be you'll be uh hearing a different set of audio quality we're really excited about this and we hope you enjoy it so here is 
the interview. Thank, thank you again, Kyle, for joining us. Thank um, you for uh, having me. Yep. So my name is Nico, and this is James, and we are part of Anime Trending. Nice to meet you guys. Nice to meet you. Um, so previously in the Q&A, um, you did mention the process of anime dubbing as well as video game dubbing. Um, can I kind of elaborate like what that process is like as far as like how it is with you in the booth? Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, well, it's 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 dubbing is is a different beast than uh, than mm -hmm. like video game localization would be that that's that's like the different terminology yeah. the industry terminology between the two dubbing is uh, recording to picture specifically something that was already done in another language and it's already finished ostensibly at least mm -hmm. finished and then we're we're recording laying down the English track just to replace whatever dialogue was recorded in the original language. And uh, I was actually just talking to, to Josh about this earlier, but uh, uh, from a technological standpoint, the way that it, that, that it works, uh, or technical, the technical element of it, the way that it works for dubbing, anime is still mostly done using the, the three-beat method where we'll... You, they'll they'll play it once for you first. They'll we'll preview the line, and you generally go one, maybe two, three lines at a time, or something like that. <laughs> where the preview happens, they play three beeps. It goes beep beep beep, and then on the fourth imaginary beep is when the line starts. And we'll preview it once in Japanese, and then they'll mute the Japanese. Usually they'll keep the music and effects in there for you to listen to, <laughs> uh, and and we'll, we'll record. So you'll hear the three beeps and then you start talking on that fourth imaginary beep. So you're looking at the script on one screen and you're looking at the, the picture on another screen and kind of learning to do a little bit of patting the head and rubbing the stomach at the same time because you're trying to act while also making sure that everything fits in the, in the timing and everything. And they can do a lot to help with that. If the script is written well uh, and, and you just deliver things at a natural pace, then it's gonna it's gonna fit in there nicely, but a lot of times there's there's a lot of finagling that has to happen. So it's a very technical uh, uh, art form. Um, there's a lot of uh, I do a lot of live action dubbing as well. Mm -hmm. More of more most of that now is using uh, it's it's using software called Voice Cue, where it's like voiceover karaoke, where they've got a little band at the bottom of the screen. There's no script. That is your script. That band has the text roll across it. And when it hits the little red line over on the left side, that's when you're supposed to say the word. And then you can, if it's, if the script is adapted well, which is a big caveat, if the script is written well, then you can preview an entire scene and then roll on an entire scene and then come back in for little tweaks here and there. A lot of times you end up rewriting almost every line anyway because people writers are not given enough time or enough money to adapt well, so uh, it doesn't end up speeding things along. But uh, it, it's really nice from an actor's perspective when the script is is solid. Uh, for video games, for localization, it's it's a completely different beast because we're we're never looking at anything that's even close to finished. We're looking at a, at a script, and that's, that's about it. And we're being given context from a director who is being given context from somebody on the client side who has seen some stuff that's already been done, but they're, they're localizing things themselves. Like they are taking uh, the original Japanese and translating it and then trying to make it sound natural in English. But from a performance standpoint, you have a lot more freedom because your timing constraints are, if anything, they're like, we need to be within half a second on length of the Japanese or uh, something along those lines. So you can, you can kind of, uh, uh, you're, you're not worried about what it's going to look like because you don't know what it's going to look like and they'll figure that out later. And even like sometimes the games, they might not even have like lip tracking. That right, you have to like right. One to one. And if they if they do, a lot of the times the mouths are reanimated because it's all it's not pre-rendered cinematics. It's all <laughs> stuff that happens within the game engine. Yeah. So they'll just completely procedurally reanimate the mouths to fit the English. And if it is done where the mouths are baked <laughs> in pre-rendered cinematics, then we generally dub those the way that we would for anime. Okay. Yeah, because the main thing we want to know is like kind of the main difference with 
reprising 9s in your automata because like what the process was like going from starting out as playing him as video game role comparing it to now the anime role from your automata version 1.1a sure in previous interviews i've seen where you mentioned learning more about 9s i think after the game had yeah been yeah, released. yeah um what what kind of aspects of his character did you learn about from that and like how did that help you with this new version like this new performance for the anime uh yeah artistically this this experience is is very different and we are only i uh, i would estimate we're less than halfway through the story i don't i don't know where we're at and it's like episode of, eight i think I, I don't know how yeah. much i don't know how much has come out compared to how much we, we've recorded and we haven't recorded in a little while so i don't yeah, know it's, where it's we're at weird, it's a weird yeah, spot yeah. but but uh, but the, the whole recording process has been very interesting for me because now i'm the expert in the room on this source on this material because <laughs> the first time around wendy lee is still our director across the board Wendy didn't play the game. <laughs> Wendy was getting her cues from, from the client mm -hmm. who is a, was a different client than who we're dealing with with the anime. Um, and, uh, and so that client's not involved now. Um, so uh, uh, th like that client was the expert in the room and, and guiding us through the whole story and everything mm -hmm. and, and making, us, making sure we were staying true to Yoko Taro's vision and, and adapting things into English and everything. Um, and uh, uh, there's a lot of information that as the actor, like when, anytime you're working on a project that's, that's got that kind of a story, you're, you're discovering things as you need to. Mm -hmm. Like they are explaining things as is necessary because if they try to give you the summary of the entire story at the start of the session, you tune out, <laughs> you, you lose it. So, so they reveal things as you go through. Now, uh, I mean, in addition to all those little technical differences between adapting a video game and then adapting something that's, that's finished animation, now there's, there's an artistic difference because now I'm intimately familiar <laughs> with the story because in addition to having recorded it all once, I played through the whole game. I've now played through the original Nier story twice. <laughs> uh, Drakengard 3 I've played through once. So I'm, I'm much more well-versed in the Drakenir universe and there have been several times throughout uh, recording this anime because they're, they're peppering in little things that weren't in the game. And several times where I go, oh, that's cool because of this, this, that, and the other thing. And Wendy's like, thank you for that because I would have no idea. Because <laughs> the other thing with that is like, I felt like from my own spot of what I've listened to so far, what got released is like, I feel like with 9S as a character, there's a little bit more of the foreshadowing of like the eventual, like yeah. the eventual, um, just how his, his mental state is kind of degrading over time. I kind of like what, what goes into that when you're trying to do like earlier scenes, knowing that he's going to be at just an extremely emotionally low place. And how do you plant those seeds for the second I, iteration? I think, I think it's something that, that it's, I mean, at least I'm assuming that this is something that they're doing on, on the creative side mm -hmm. with, with making the anime before it gets to, to us. Yeah. But it's at least something that I'm thinking of is that th this anime is for people who already know the story, mm -hmm. you know? Like the game, we, we had to hold a lot of those, like pull a lot of those punches back because it needed to be a surprise to people. Mm -hmm. And now we're, we're doing stuff for an audience that already knows that story. So you've got, you, you pepper in those little things to try and, uh, and and help give them a little bit of that, like, oh, I know what's coming. Because <clears throat> it's it's just, it's a different experience this time around, I, I feel like. And I think it's really interesting the way that, uh, that the anime creators are are steering, are tell retelling a story that people already know and, and adding in some, some foreshadowing that wasn't there the first time around. Awesome, yeah. So earlier in the Q&A, you did mention about uh, or at least one of the audience members asked a question about remote dubbing. And yeah. so I think can kind of like reiterate on that subject, basically talking about just uh, your current experience um, just with work um, based on pre-COVID versus post-COVID yeah. with um, how, how that production um, process is like for you. Uh, dubbing, so I mean, voiceover as a whole all went into home studios for a period of about two years there. 
mm-hmm. and uh, dubbing was without question the hardest thing to do from home mm-hmm. because because of the technical aspect of trying to to look at because getting technology to where we could send lossless or as close to lossless audio to the person that needed it mm-hmm. while also seeing video on our side where we could at least decipher what where things were supposed to sit mm-hmm. um i feel like remote dubbing takes at least twice as long as as recording in studio just that's just a fact of 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 the way that things work because when you're recording stuff like you're recording stuff on your end looking at the at the video mm-hmm. and it all looks more or less the same that it would in studio when you're recording it but on the other side of things where the engineer is re- laying it down mm-hmm. alongside the actual finished picture, they're hearing it one to two to three to maybe sometimes five seconds late because of the, the limitations the of the way technology works. So then they have to try and slide it into place and anytime it's a more complicated line and, and that delay is changing throughout the course of the session, because mm-hmm. of course it is. Yeah. So they're having to play like this guessing game of trying to figure out, is this where the actor was trying to start it? And then in addition to what if the actor was wrong? How do I, <laughs> like then you've got to fix it. So remote dubbing takes a lot longer than, than recording in, in a studio. And I think that's why now that we're, you know, into 2023 and the pandemic is officially declared over at this point, now uh, more, more and more studios are, are insisting that you have to be willing to come in and record. And it's, it's unfortunate that, that that's just the nature of the beast, but I, I feel like it, it makes sense because it takes so much longer to do things remote. For dubbing, for for other types of voiceover, it it throws, it, it still delays things a little bit, but not nearly as much. Mm-hmm. And that's why some stuff is still doing remote that, that wouldn't have been pre-pandemic. Um, and it's yeah, it's just a, it's just a it's a different landscape than it was four years ago. And you already kind of mentioned that like even before dubbing was already so disconnected. Like you might not necessarily know the full story of like whatever game. Or yeah, show that yeah. You were, you were just, already recording, it, right? Because it's just the nature of how things happen. It, it it's not uh, economical or really artistically helpful for for the actor to be filled in on every single aspect of what the, the greater story is. You just have to trust that the people who are steering you are steering you in the right way. Which is so funny going into 13 Sentinels because oh. if you only had to follow it, because you, you voice basic Ikuhara in 13 yeah. Sentinels, which happens to have a 13 protagonists, right. 13 completely different arcs. The story jumps around yeah. all sorts of places. What was that recording process like? Did you... Because you only knew basically the story relative to what Sekigahara is going through. Right. <laughs> like, how do you and, manage to navigate And that? I don't remember, I feel like the, so if I, if I remember correctly, and, and if you asked Christian Lamont this question, he'd be able to tell you better because he was, he was the director on the project. Mm-hmm. But I believe the recording process was, we started with A's story, like when he, the, the parts of the game where you play as A, that's what we recorded first. Mm-hmm. And most of that, at least the first half of that, he has amnesia. He doesn't know what in the <laughs> world's going on. And then once we finished all of the stuff where you play as A, that then we went back and started peppering in all of the scenes that come up in mm-hmm. other pl- characters' stories. So it was a lot of stuff that was like, wait, when does this happen compared to what we did here? And like, how much does he know now compared to what he knew at the end of this section or at the beginning of this section? And like, and there's and there's parts of A's story where he comes, I feel like, doesn't he come across himself or he, there's recordings there's re- of himself? There's like other, there's recordings of yeah, himself. Yeah, recordings of a past version of himself before the amnesia. That looks like the future. And, yeah, <laughs> and then, so there's a whole lot of like, how much do I know here and how much do I need to know to give you the performance mm-hmm. that conveys that I know what I'm talking about, even though I don't have any idea what I'm talking about. 
<laughs> and even James, like, keep in mind, like, this is like a thing. You play one chapter, you get a new detail. You're like recons reconsidering everything you had just watched, you're, like for maybe like the first previous couple oh, yeah. of hours. And they're, you're doing that as a player too. Not it's not just so yeah. disconnected from no, the voice there, acting. I'm, I'm sure that there were moments throughout the recording process where we we made a discovery and had to go back to re-record <laughs> something because it, because it influenced something like that. <laughs> Oh, that's hilarious. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> um, so, yeah, thank you for that. Really, yeah, really, yeah. really great experience. Because that was not recorded during pandemic, right? No, that was pre-pandemic. Pre-pandemic, yeah. it released, like, during. Yeah, so that was, I, think, like, I think it was, like, late 2019 was probably got it. around okay. the time that we finished recording on that one, yeah. So what was the first, like, production that you had, like, for either during pandemic for like when the full Ooh. shift had to go through like what was the first on there oh let me think uh let's see i think probably the first stuff i did was probably some live action dubbing that was probably mm -hmm. the, the first because that that is at least for a while that was like the bulk of what i was doing mm -hmm. for a living um i i do remember we did some pickups for uh Tales, Tales, Tales from Arise. Mm -hmm. um, we did most of that game pre-pandemic. I do remember we came, I went into the studio for some pickups, like when we were hearing about this new thing called a coronavirus. Um, and I remember making some, some jokes that, <laughs> that were like, you know, about the fact mm -hmm. that we were all going to die. Uh, <laughs> and then, uh, and then there was another round of pickups at some point, um, remote for sure uh there were let me think there were other projects i i mean there were plenty i the entirety of cells at work code black which was a netflix series that i i voiced the the protagonist red blood cell in that was all done mm -hmm. in my home studio in fact i had two sessions two different sessions we, we adopted a pandemic puppy uh in sort of in January of 2021, I think, was when we adopted him. And I had two sessions on Cells at Work that I had to cancel in the middle of the session because that dog got into something he shouldn't have and I had to rush him to the vet. Oh, no. <laughs> two different sessions, same project. <laughs> wow. <laughs> So on the more on more serious note, as we're finally kind of, like you said, the people have been declaring pandemic over. We're kind of getting into a back back to the some grind, semblance of normalcy, some semblance yeah. of it. Um, there seems to be a lot of pressure in a lot of the industry. I know in anime adjacent, like I I don't know if I would call um, WGA anime adjacent, but I know on your Twitter uh, as part of um, yeah. SAG AFTRA, you've uh, very this is a very important subject for you yes and i think i want to let um, kind of the viewers know like to what extent does the writer's guild strike as well as what sag is, is part of how does this affect um anime fans because sometimes they might not necessarily realize just how interconnected sure. this, this industry is so uh the the writer the strike that the that the writer's guild is is currently um in the middle of uh, and honestly, I think they're in the early stages of it's, it's, mm -hmm. it's, yeah. they're not close. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um, I, th thankfully for me on a personal level, it's not impacting a whole lot of the stuff that I work on as a voiceover performer. Mm -hmm. Um, every, all the scripts that are adapted for, for dubbing, that is all non-union. Uh, they're, they're just like, it's non-jurisdictional. There is no union that covers script adaptation for, for, uh, for anime and, and for yeah. live action dubbing, that's that's all non-jurisdictional, non-union stuff. Uh, for video games, that's all written in-house by game people who work for the game companies. So that's all non-union as well. Uh, cartoons, like original animation, almost all of that is under the jurisdiction of the Animation Guild rather than the Writers Guild. With, the, with with very few exceptions, like the the, the adult adult sitcom stuff, some of that is is still mm -hmm. is covered by the Writers Guild, like Family Guy and American Dad, and Simpsons, mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. But most cartoons are covered by the Animation Guild. So, as as 
a voiceover actor, the writer's strike is not impacting my livelihood at the moment, mm -hmm. but the, the issues that they are striking over, or some of the issues that they are striking over anyway, very much uh, relate to issues that SAG-AFTRA is hopefully not going to have to strike over as well, mm -hmm. but we are in the middle of, uh, my union SAG-AFTRA is calling for a strike authorization so that when they get to the negotiating table in the next couple of weeks here, they can come to the AMPTP and say, hey, our membership has authorized us to execute a strike if you don't agree to our terms here. The big issues that we're talking about right now, that where there's crossover between the Writers Guild and, and the actors, and the directors for that matter, who are also in the middle of negotiations, um, our streaming residuals is a mm -hmm. big one because uh, it, there was there was a time when most of our entertainment aired on terrestrial television on, on mm -hmm. network TV or, or cable, and uh, when network was the big daddy, when that was that was most of the content for for TV was was on network television. Residuals were fantastic. When you got on a show that, that got syndicated and got re-aired on the CW every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday night, you could buy yourself a big old mansion because you were making tons of money on residuals. And that's because of the fact that the, the people who owned that content were making significantly more money and our unions negotiated good deals that got us a piece of the pie. When cable became a thing, Cable TV started started coming onto the scene, and we started negotiating, trying to ask for the same type of deal. The AMPTP countered with, well, this is new territory for us. We don't really know how profitable it's really going to be, so could you do us a solid and give it to us for a little bit less? And we did. Our, our unions did cut them a deal and then give them a little bit less of a, a little bit more of a bargain. So when stuff gets syndicated on cable, we don't get nearly as big of a payout as we did on network or do on network. And fast forward another 10, 20 years, streaming comes, Netflix becomes a thing. Mm -hmm. Stuff starts going out to, pe to people's homes for $15 a month. They can watch whatever they want as many times as they want. And all of those companies are very secretive about how much certain content is being viewed. Mm -hmm. And again, the same thing happened. We came to the table. We said, we want the same deal that we gave you on cable. And the, the producers said, well, this is new technology. We don't know how profitable it's going to be, yada, yada, yada. So residuals for streaming are significantly less than mm -hmm. they are for cable. And that is an issue that, that affects the writers. It affects the actors. It affects the directors. It affects everybody. Mm -hmm. We cannot, you can't make a living off of streaming residuals the way that you could off of like friends when yeah. it was being syndicated all the time. Now you're, you're making like, you get your session fee, which is it's it, for me in voiceover. If I do an episode of a cartoon show, I'm making maybe a thousand dollars ish from the session fee before mm -hmm. taxes. So I'm probably only pocketing four or five, $600 if I'm lucky. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, and then it comes out on a streaming platform and maybe two years later, I'll see that session fee again, roughly. Mm -hmm. that's, that's maybe what I'm looking at, at earning off of an episode of, of TV. So, um, and that, that's, that's Western animation. For dubbing, there is, there, are, there is no residual structure in place. So mm -hmm. there's, there's nothing to be had there really. Uh, as, so as, uh, I'm off on a tangent at this point, but <laughs> as far as the strike, the, the Writers Guild strike that is in effect right now goes, I think the way that it impacts anime fans is that, uh, I mean, we're, it's a very big trickle down effect mm -hmm. where the less that the, that the writers get now the less that the actors are going to get when we get to our negotiation, the less that dubbing actors are going to get as a result of all of that, because we're, we're way down the totem pole in terms of when we get to ask the producers for more money, 
and then better better residual packages. And there's a bit of an effect where everybody references the previous negotiated exactly. contracts. So yes. so and so got this. Yes. Means Pattern bargaining is a big thing where it's all like we can never negotiate for anything better than what the people who came before us got. And generally speaking, we're asking for a percentage of what the people before us got rather than the whole thing. So the better that they get, the better we get. So that's 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 one big thing. And another thing that affects all of us across the board is artificial intelligence, mm -hmm. which I could go off on a tirade about that for a long time. I think it's a misnomer. It is not artificial intelligence. It is plagiarism software. Uh, <laughs> but um, it is, I, I think, fighting technological growth is, is a losing battle. We're not going to be able to stop technology from advancing, but what we hopefully could get is some guidance on ethical use of that technology. And uh, right now it is severely under-regulated and under-enforced on what regulation is present. Um, and it's, it's, it's a sticking point in the Writers Guild's negotiations that, that stagnated and, and led to this strike. It's a big sticking point for SAG-AFTRA in the AMPTP. And it's a big sticking point for dubbing actors in our contract because when we went to the table just a few months ago with some of our uh, employers, we had a contract where we had AI protections written in and they said, you can't have those in our contract. We're, you're talking to the wrong people. You need to talk to the AMPTP and we will agree to whatever you get with them. Mm -hmm. So we have, we currently as dubbing act, dubbing performers that are under the SAG-AFTRA umbrella have no protections against AI until we get it in our big mama agreement that we're mm -hmm. asking for a strike authorization for right now. Yeah, and that's everything, especially because yeah. it's like, you make a Kevin McCarley bot on some new shows and that, that could be it, you know, I mean, that's, that's your livelihood and that's, this is what it's, you've been working it's, on. It's, it's livelihood, but it's also, it's also terrifying to me. Just the concept that someone could just make, 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 say make someone yeah. say whatever they want. Like just, just an existential crisis in my brain. Oh yeah, no, for sure. I, yeah. I've had those same feelings. I think even James, I think right now you're, we're talking about with the demo thing. With oh Mark. yeah. Yeah. There's a, a controversy on a, Taiwanese video game publisher that apparently there was a, a lot of, uh, according to their official announcement, no, not a significant number of artist staff have been uh, removed, which is it's a bunch of words. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a... It's a mess where it was like, okay, now they're going to try to do an entire if, art, art department. Art, an entire art department, yeah. AI. If you're going to replace an entire workforce with robots, you better give that workforce universal basic income first. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Especially because it's like it's feeding the same input back yeah. then too. I mean, it was a yeah, and that's the same when you do when you're replacing artists with machines that are just regurgitating something that's been done before. There's there's no creativity involved. Nothing mm -hmm. new is ever going to happen. Anyway, <laughs> no, it's it's a big deal. I mean, yeah, it's definitely because. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to get on my pedestal, but I'm also like, I see the ones where it was like, you see um, the animation where they do the, like, I took this anime intro, I put it into a thing, and now it's at, like, 60 FPS 60 or whatever. 60 FPS on there, and I'm just looking at it for, like, knowing the animation and the timings. I'm like, it's all wrong. Yeah. yeah. It's like, it's so much. 90 seconds of smear frames. Uh-huh. Yeah, but that's, 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 like, such a small little thing of, like, my little annoyance. Sure. Just, but, I mean, the whole, everything else is just... Um, Kind of insane, and just the applications yeah. on that. It's, I mean, that's definitely something. It's wild that, what that technology can do, but it's it's terrifying how rapidly it's advancing without us really understanding mm -hmm. the implications. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you also mentioned during the Q and A about the transparency on working on projects, like yeah. like how. Can we like go over that again? Just about sure all of the crazy code Trans games. Not Transparency, going. I think, is is an issue that uh, has come up with with my union a couple times, um, and I I think it's it's an issue that's that's worth talking about uh, uh, constantly. Um, there was a a video game voice acting strike that took place in twenty eighteen, I think it was. Mm -hmm. Uh, and one of the big issues there was about transparency and casting because it was a standard practice for actors to get booked on, on a job. They'd come in and they'd, they'd be given some working title that has nothing to do with the, the project. Mm -hmm. And at the time, they could have you 
record the job and leave without ever telling you what you were actually working on. Uh, we did get, as a result of that strike, finally some guarantees that say that at the time of booking, they have to give you information like, what is this project? Uh, am I reprising a role from before? Because up until that point, they could have you become come in to do a fourth installment of a game and not tell you that it was the same game. So you you and your agent don't know to negotiate, hey, this is a successful franchise. I deserve a little bit of a pay bump. So now they have to tell you if you're reprising a role, if it's uh, what the what the project is, and uh, whether or not it's going to be vocally stressful. If you're going to be doing a lot of screaming on the job, they have to tell you that in advance now, which is a big step forward. There are still issues in a lot of areas that I work where uh, they they. A lot of studios are good about this, but it is not contractually required, and so it's not always the case, where there's some sexually explicit content that they don't tell you about ahead of time, mm -hmm. things that could be triggering for certain people, mm -hmm. um, stuff where there's a lot of violence or, or swearing, like there, stuff that maybe I don't personally have an issue with some of this stuff. Mm -hmm. Or maybe it depends on the context of that content, whether or not it's going to bother me. But yeah. it's stuff that... It, we need to be aware of before we get into the booth so that we can either prepare ourselves mentally and emotionally before we go to work that day or so that we know, you know what, this is not a job that I'm right for, for this reason or whatever it is, and I should turn it down. And I, I hope that we can continue to make advancements on that, that issue of transparency where they can, they can give us those kinds of content warnings ahead of time. Um, there's a, also an is, issues with like, sometimes you show up on the job and they don't tell you you're going to be singing a, a song today. <laughs> and they didn't, they didn't give you any materials to prepare for. So, and some, some actors, that can be a real struggle. Uh, even if you do know how to sing, that can be a real struggle if they don't, if they haven't given you the proper preparation. Or sometimes there's, especially in live action dubbing, there's a lot of situations where you're going to be speaking in a foreign language. Like we're dubbing into English, but this character in the context of the story is speaking in some other language and we can't take the original. So you're going to be dubbing over that and speaking some language that you don't speak. Mm -hmm. That's the kind of stuff that if we get the heads up ahead of time, we can prepare for it and we can give a better performance as a result and, and hopefully not, not trigger anybody. That's all my questions. Yeah, that, I mean, we've, we've had all the questions and then Great. some. I mean, um, the only other thing I think, because you did also mention about simuldubs within the yes. current sphere. Um, you have mentioned that because streaming residuals have, haven't changed at all, but simuldub demand has been going up. Oh, we've oh, we've yeah, been seeing on our end, we have, we get, I think on our charts, you could vote for like up to 40 different shows. There's per 40 to 50 anime that come out and we rank mostly the stuff like Japanese releases, but right. oftentimes there will be simuldub announcements when the Japanese air date is released and they're like, it'll be... It's airing starting, you know, January 5th, and the dub will be out two weeks after that. Right. And I know, just personally, I think that turnaround time is kind of crazy, but... It's I, wild. I uh, yeah, and uh, I, I I know from a from a consumer standpoint that, that fans really love being able to get it that fast. Mm -hmm. um, from a production standpoint, it's a nightmare. It's, it's, it's so fast because the materials that we have to reference to, to work on are, are not finished. So how can we possibly put together a quality finished product on, on our end? Mm -hmm. uh, I, I liken it to, to, to trying to build a, a nice sports car. Mm -hmm. Like I said this in the panel earlier, but like <laughs> it's, it's like in, in the old days before we were doing simul dubs or, or simultaneous global releases of video games, uh, they would, give you a set of plans, the blueprints, and they would say, hey, look, here's this beautiful Ferrari that we just put together. Here's the plans for how we did it. Now we need you to just follow those plans and build the same thing. 
And we've gotten to a point now where they're like, hey, we're in the process of building that car. We've put the wheels on it, maybe. Like, we haven't even got any further than that. But we need you to build the exact same car, and we don't have the plans, and we don't have the, the time to, to help you in any way. You're like, you just have to guess at what we're going to do and do the same thing. And I mean, it's it, as, as a result, like, I, I think uh, quality suffers from it because we don't, our, our script adapters don't have time to, to adapt things properly. They're given way too short of deadlines and they're not paid nearly enough. Uh, and uh, the, the people steering the ship, whoever's directing the project doesn't know, like we're, we're dubbing an episode that's coming out next week in Japan to be released in three weeks here or whatever. And that like that episode's coming out that maybe the director has seen the next two episodes, but they don't know where the story goes after that point. Mm -hmm. So how can they tell us what to do as our character when, when they don't know what our character, like there might be some reveal coming in 12 episodes that turns out the character is really Satan incarnate or something. And they don't know. So how it lay, there's just, there's so many little things that suffer as a result of the, the lack of time that is given to, to production. And, uh, I mean, I feel like some of that could be, could be alleviated with just more communication, mm -hmm. but I think the obvious solution to me would just be like, look, you want it to come out globally at the same time. Great. Finish it on your side and then hold it. Wait, don't put it out yet until we've managed to, to finish our thing. Mm -hmm. If that's, if the, if the goal is a global simultaneous release, wait rather than speeding everything along. Yeah, that's one of the things. Like, it's it's hard to find the studios in Japan that are able to do that and maintain that schedule. I know we really like well, Bones. Yeah, they're overworked. They they're too. overworked yeah. too. Bones Bones is a really unique exception. Um, where even in the last year they were had they had their productions finished like six to eight months before the original air date, which was almost unheard of for yeah. that sort of yeah that sort of schedule. Is. So you're like, okay, well they're they're still on that really tough schedule, but at least it's the point where they're not episode, airing episode one, finishing episode 10. Right. <laughs> like, while it's airing. Right. You, we, we've seen a lot of cases on now. The yeah. Side's yeah. Insane. It's bananas. Um, and and the, the technology is advanced to where you can finish it faster, but mm -hmm. sometimes creatively, it's, that doesn't, that doesn't yeah. mean that you've got the time creatively to make mm -hmm. it good. <laughs> yeah, it's like we have you have the production pipeline. It's just can't, like you can't said. put the brain in a vice. And and from in in my area of expertise with dubbing, it it just it it seems like it's exponential. Like there was a time a few years back where Netflix was really going hard on cranking out a whole lot of foreign content being dubbed, mm -hmm. and they came to every studio in Los Angeles with projects, and they said, "How fast can you get it done?" and Every studio was like, there is so much work to be had here. We have to ca capture as much of their work as they're willing to give us. So they bent over backwards and said, we'll get it done super, super fast. And we'll work 12 hours a day, six, seven days a week to get it done. And then that became the expectation. And now that's, that's, it's just, it's ex it just keeps on getting worse and worse and worse rather than saying, Hey, we can get it done this fast this time but this is not normal. You can't count on this. <laughs> yeah. Especially when it's like, you're reaching a way wider audience when you're able to do that. So right. it's like, there, there's a lot more money involved, but you have a lot more work in it, but you're not, you're not getting any of, any of what's part of that bonus. No. Market capture. No. That, 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 yeah. that goes back. Yeah. That goes back, that to, goes the whole, back yeah. to the pressure. There's, no, there's no, no piece of the pie being given out to the people down the, down the line. Yeah. Okay. So, all right. I was yeah we're we're wrapping up I think uh, it's just we're coming up at thirty past the hour but is there any other closing thoughts you have for any of your fans or any other ways for them to weigh in on this? Uh, or follow you anywhere? Uh, I would say I I think uh, I I saw I I've seen some people trying to to voice their support for the WGA strike right now or, or for you know for similar issues along the way and like saying they're canceling their streaming subscriptions and all of that that is not what we're asking for mm -hmm. uh we want you to support the projects that you like because that's what shows 
our our employers that they're lucrative mm -hmm. and that and that we deserve a piece of the pie. So if you start trying to you know protest with your wallet, it, I, I I think I don't I don't think you're necessarily going to hurt anything doing that, but I don't think it's going to help the way that, that that you want it to. I think the best thing you can do to support is to be vocal about it and mm -hmm. and get on social media and blast those produce production companies that are tightening their wallets while they get fatter and fatter <laughs> or uh, or you know find a contact form on a website somewhere and, and email them and say hey pay your writers <laughs> you know that kind of stuff i think is how you can get involved uh and, and show up on picket lines that makes a big difference the writers guild is is making big waves this strike because uh members of other unions like the Teamsters and IATSE will not cross an active picket line. So if there's an active picket line in front of a set, they shut down production for the day and that really shortens the length of the strike. So, and, and they're, they're looking for help from, from other picketers. So mm -hmm. if you can, if you're in the area of somewhere that, uh, that production is happening, joining a picket line will absolutely help. Um, and as for me, you can find me at Kyle McCarley on all the social media. So there, there you go. Right. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so Thank much. You so much. Thank really you. And welcome back. Uh, we hope that you enjoyed that interview. Uh, if you would like to hear more of that kind of content, do let us know. This was kind of a cool experimental thing for us. Uh, but if you like it, we'll try to we'll try to get more of that kind of stuff um, produced for the podcast. If you have any other opinions on the podcast, either topics you think we should do, shows you think we should watch, uh, anything that we forgot, you want to tell me that my taste is trash, uh, you want to say that Gracie has impeccable taste, you know, all that kind of good stuff. Um, you can, I, I think more people are angry with me than I, anything I mean, else. <laughs> if you're angry, you can comment your anger too. Uh, we love that engagement. Um, mostly because I get a little hit of dopamine every time the Twitter notification shows up on my phone that somebody liked one of the podcast <laughs> accounts tweets. Ah, anyway, uh, I am I am normal and social media is absolutely not a problem. Uh, <laughs> uh, if you're interested in listening to more of the podcast... Uh, you know where to find us because you're listening to this one. Uh, the Twitter account is at AnyTrendsPod. You can find me at at Konotioda. And uh, Gracie, where can people find you? At GirlTaku underscore AT. Even though there's three of us there, um, I'm the only one manning the Twitter. <laughs> so She does a darn good job of it. So absolutely listen to GirlTaku. Follow them as well. Um, think that's just about it. Any last thoughts, Gracie? I hope everyone enjoy this episode and I'll see you next time. Bye. Yeah, I'll see you next time. Bye.